passage that our brother Don read for us a few moments ago from Luke chapter 2 here in just a moment. It is such a blessing and a joy to see all of you here gathered together upon this first day of the week that the Bible describes, I believe, as the Lord's Day. And it is good that we have this opportunity to come together as God's people to open our hearts and our lips as we praise Him in song and in prayer in remembrance of His eternal uh, depths of His love for us as He showed that in His Son, Jesus Christ, and to open His Word this morning. And as we do all of that, not only to offer up our praise to God, our great Father and Creator, but to offer our edification and encouragement one to another as His children. If you are visiting with us this morning, we certainly are thankful that you have chosen to come and be with us, and we count you as our guest. If you are visiting with us from the community and are not a Christian, you're looking for God in your life, and you're looking for God's will in your life, I think you have found the right people. We would be happy to sit down and discuss God's Word with you and help you in any way that we can in that endeavor that you are involved in. In the text that our brother Don read for us earlier here in Luke chapter 2, Luke provides us an interesting insight, I think, into the early life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There is a lot in the text here at the end of Luke chapter 2 that I believe is of interest to us who follow Jesus. But this morning, for the sake of time, we're going to focus our attention on the very first words, to my knowledge, the very first words that Scripture records from the mouth of our Lord. These words are found in the form of a question here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 49 as he responded to some things that his mother had to say to him and asked the question, do you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Or at least that is the rendering from the New American Standard Version from which I'm reading from this morning. Depending upon what translation you are using this morning, the The last word of Luke chapter 2 and verse 49 may be house as it is in the New American Standard. It may be business, it may be affairs, or it might be things. And it's my understanding that there is no word here in the Greek text, the original text. And so what the translators of our English versions have done, they have supplied some possible words for us. Two, I think, number one, help the English flow a little bit better at Jesus asking this question, but also to help us to understand the question that he is asking. And so I don't know, I've said to you before, I am not a scholar of language and of the Hebrew or the Greek at all. And so I don't know what the best translation of, uh, or the best word that should fit into that particular question should be. Should it be about my father's, or in my father's house, or about my father's business, or his affairs, or his things. However, I am convinced that in asking this question, Jesus was wanting his parents to understand something about him, and to understand something very important about why he came to earth, what his work was to do here, what mission his father had given him. And Jesus, I believe, was wanting his parents, Joseph and Mary, to understand that he had come to do his father's will, that he had to be about his father's business, that his life here on earth was fully and completely devoted to accomplishing his father's will. This morning, we're going to use this text here in Luke chapter 2 as kind of a springboard, if you will, a starting point 
for our 2023 congregational theme. I, if you were here last week or if you were able to watch that lesson on Zoom uh, or on Facebook Live uh, or on YouTube, I guess it is, you know that we have a theme for this year. And our theme this year is More Like Jesus. And I want us to start out this theme this morning. And as I said to you last week, it's my intention to take this particular session, this hour, every third Sunday of the month, unless I'm out of town preaching or on vacation or there are a number of you out of town. We're going to do that every third Sunday at the 1040 hour. And to think about, focus on this theme this year of being more like Jesus. And as we do that this morning, as we begin that series to think about being more like Jesus in this aspect that's something that is very fundamental for all of us that are followers of His, that He was one who came to do His Father's will, and we need to be people that are doing our Father's will just as He did also. As we look here at Luke chapter 2 and the text again that Don's already read for us, I'm not going to take the time to go back and read that in, in its entirety, but what I want us to do in this lesson this morning is really just to pull out three lessons that we can learn from Jesus. How can we be more like Him in this aspect, this very important work that He was given to do, that we have been given to do, and that is doing our Father's will. Number one, I would suggest to you as we look at the account of what took place here in Luke chapter 2, that as we do our Father's will, we can learn from Jesus that there will be some people who will not understand that. But there will be some, perhaps, who will understand that at a later point in our life. I want you to notice what is said to us here in Luke chapter 2, uh, back at verses 50 and 51, after Jesus has made the statement or asked the question uh, to in reply to what his mother has said to him back in verse 49, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house or about my father's business? Then Luke makes the observation to us here at verse 50, but they did not understand his parents. They did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and came into Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Jesus' reply to Mary's statement seems to maybe have taken her somewhat by surprise. I don't know exactly what she was thinking that Jesus, how he would reply, as she had already stated back in verse 48, you know, why have you treated us in this way? You are our son. We are your parents. Where, what have you been doing? Where, where have you hidden yourself? Why could we not find you? You can just imagine from a mother's standpoint, she has been frantic, as she even says here in verse 48, we've been anxiously looking for you. They have left their caravan behind. They have traveled back to Jerusalem. They've been looking for him for some time. And so Jesus' reply here in verse 49, do you not know that I have to be in my father's house, may have taken his mother somewhat by surprise. If we think back to the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke, back in Luke chapter 1, and we're not going to take the time to read this entire text that I have on the screen, but if you go back at least in your mind or perhaps in your Bible there to Luke 1 and look at this section, verses 30 through 37, we know there that Gabriel, the angel that God had sent, told Mary that the son that she would bear would be called the Son of the Most High. Gabriel said to Mary that he's not only going to be the son of the Most High, but he will reign over the house of Jacob, over Israel forever, and in that section that he will be called the Son of God. But that had been some 12 years earlier, because as we are reading here in Luke chapter 2, 
as the writer tells us here, he was about 12 years old when this conversation between Joseph and Mary took place. That had been about 12 years earlier. Perhaps it may be the case that she had not thought about Gabriel's words in a while about who this, their son really was, that he was the son of the Most High, he was the son of God, that he would reign over the house of Jacob, over God's people forever. Surely she did not understand even all that the angel Gabriel was telling her here on this occasion. If you look at the comment that Luke makes in this conversation between the angel and Mary, back in Luke chapter 1 at verse 29, Somewhat similar to what we have recorded for us here in the section that we're looking at this morning in Luke chapter 2 at verse 51. So verse 29 of Luke 1 says, But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salvation this was. For whatever reason, as we come to what Jesus said to her here in response to her question and statement back in verse 48, as he responds to that in verse 49 of Luke 2, For whatever reason, Mary did not understand the full import of what Jesus was saying. And in telling her that he had to be about his father's business, that he had come to earth to do his father's will, Jesus was claiming to not only be his earthly father's son, and I want you to compare maybe back to what Mary had said back in verse 48 of Luke chapter 2 when she said to Jesus, Behold, your father and I, talking obviously about Joseph, But more so, he was telling his mother that he was his heavenly father's son. That he not only had a father on earth, but more importantly, he had a father in heaven. And to her credit, I think, Mary did not dismiss her son's words. She did not say, he's just, that's just crazy talk that is coming out of his mouth. No, but the Bible tells us here at verse 51 that she treasured all of these things in her heart, and perhaps she recalled them at a later date. I have to wonder, at least in my own mind, when she was there at the foot of the cross and she sees her son hanging on the cross and the life breath going out of him, that maybe perhaps there at the crucifixion she might have recalled these words, don't I have to be about my father's business? Didn't I come to earth to do my father's will? Perhaps when Jesus arose from the dead and she was there at the tomb to think about those words Have I not come to do my Father's will? Perhaps maybe when He ascended back into heaven to think about those words, but she treasured those words in her heart. She did not understand His whole purpose and His mission in coming to this world. Certainly, none of us can claim to be what Jesus claimed to be. Certainly none of us here that are disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, can claim to be deity as he was claiming to be the Christ, the Son of God. And yet we sometimes tell people maybe that we cannot do something, even some, quote, good thing that the world describes as being a good thing, because we are people who are doing our Father's will, because we're trying to be like Jesus in this regard. We're not here to do our will. We're not here to make ourselves happy. We're not here to please ourselves. We're not here to follow all of our fleshly lust and desires like much of the world around us is doing. But we have come, like Jesus, to do our Father's will. will. Do you not know, we could say to people, that I must be in my Father's house, that I must be about my Father's business? And there will be some, probably a lot of people, especially people who are of the world, worldly family and friends, that won't understand that at all, as perhaps even Mary and Joseph and others who may have been listening to this conversation truly didn't understand what Christ was saying 
But I think there will be others, especially spiritual family, that understand what we are saying. They will understand, they will know that those things that have come from God, those matters which are spiritual and eternal in nature, that those things must take precedence over earthly matters. But even then, sometimes our spiritual family may not fully understand, yet perhaps they may be like Mary, and they may treasure or ponder those things and recall our words and recall our actions and recall our attitudes at some later date. And then maybe the light bulb will go off for them, as surely it must have done for those who were family members and friends and followers of Jesus himself. You see, number one, I think we learn from Jesus here that when our lives are like his, when our lives are all about doing our Father's will, that we will be like him. We will plant a spiritual seed in people that may or may not understand what we are doing, why we are living here on earth, what our purpose is, but it may be a seed that someday may sprout and it may cause growth. It may be fruitful for the Lord himself. Secondly, as we think about this mission that Jesus had to come to earth to do his Father's will and how we can be like him in that regard, I think we learn a great lesson from Jesus here in Luke chapter 2 that doing our Father's will in our life, it is something that ought to begin early and it's something that really never ends. It doesn't have an ending point. I want you to read just a few verses, notice a few things here in this text, going back to Luke chapter 2. What I have here on the screen, verse 42 Uh, Luke says to us there that when he, Jesus, became 12, uh, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. Then drop down to verse 46. Then after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And then the last verse of this text, verse 52, Luke says that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Here is Jesus. The Bible makes it very clear. He's 12 years old. We don't know a whole lot about Jesus' life here on earth uh, before he started his earthly ministry, which I think is in Luke chapter 3, tells us that he was about the age of 30. We, We don't know all the things that Jesus did. We don't know all the things that Jesus said. We don't know all the places Jesus went. We don't know all the conversations that he had with people up to the time when he started his earthly ministry at 30 years old. But here is a young man at 12 years old. Jesus, I want you to be impressed with the fact, was already doing his father's will. He was, as Luke tells us here in this text, on this occasion in the temple in Jerusalem. He was there to listen to all the teachers, all the rabbis of the day, but he was also there to talk to them. He was there to listen. He was there to ask questions I would think, even though it was the Jewish tradition and custom that when a young boy turned 12 years old, that he kind of went from boyhood to manhood, that there was a great change in his life and how people viewed him and how he was supposed to view himself. But even that being true, I would think this is kind of a strange situation. (laughs) For all of these religious teachers, I'm assuming that most of them are older, that they have devoted much of their life to studying the law of Moses, to being trying to be experts in that law as they thought of themselves. But here is this young man, 12 years old, who is coming to them, and he is listening to every word they have to say. And not only that, he is teaching and he is engaging them in conversation and he is asking them questions. 
But even more unusual than that, I think, would have been for a Jewish boy of 12 to show certainly the depth of understanding that Jesus showed. Not only in the questions that he asked, but also in the answers that he gave to spiritual questions. Very impressive indeed. And I think there is an example here as we think about being more like Jesus this year. There's a great example here in this text for those of you who are young in age. That here is Jesus at 12 years old. As has been already pointed out to us this morning, he has learned the skills of being a carpenter. But more than that, he is devoting his young life at this young age to being about his father's will, to learning his father's will. Sometimes I think maybe those of us who are a little bit older, maybe we're parents or grandparents or just among the older generations, that we look at the younger generation, especially those who may be very small, and we think, well, they can't understand all of these spiritual things. And granted, their, their understanding is going to be on a very simplistic, very elementary level. I understand that. A five-year-old is, is not going to know all the ins and outs of Scripture like hopefully a 50-year-old will. But to instill, for us as parents, to instill in our children uh, this kind of character and this kind of desire that even at a young age, like Jesus, they want to do their father's will. However, that was not the extent of Jesus being devoted to doing his father's will. Because even after these events of, of being 12 years old, we know about what happened to Jesus the rest of his life. As the last verse here in Luke chapter 2 tells us, that Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and knowledge and stature rather and in favor with God and man. After these events, after this conversation of, of listening to and, and asking and answering questions here in the temple, that Jesus continued to grow in heavenly wisdom. Jesus continued to grow in favor both with God and man as he was growing in physical age. And the point I take away from that is this, that for Jesus Christ as he lived here upon earth, doing his Father's will was, was not something just to start at 18 or 21 or 25 as we think about maybe those significant numbers in our time. And neither was it something for him to end by the time that he was 30 years old. For him, it was a lifelong endeavor. It was a lifelong mission something that started very early and never had an end to it. I want you to go with me to several passages, and I have a number of scriptures here. They're very short for us to read from the Gospels of Luke and John. But I want you to just think about some things that these two gospel writers have to say about Jesus Christ and think about his earthly life from a very young age to the very end. In John chapter 4 and verse 34 as Jesus, you might remember early in this chapter, has met with the Samaritan woman at the well and the conversations that took place. And the disciples have gone into the city while he is talking to this woman out by the well of Jacob. And they come back and they say to Jesus there at verse 31 of John chapter 4, Rabbi, eat something. They realize he hasn't eaten anything. And Jesus says to them in verse 32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples, verse 33, were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? But listen to Jesus' reply to them in verse 34. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. You see, the disciples, the apostles' minds was on physical food. Jesus, our master, our teacher, our rabbi, he hasn't eaten anything. He has been out here conversing with this woman. He has traveled 
through this, the region of Samaria. And surely he is hungry. Surely he is thirsty. Let's go get him something to eat. But Jesus' mind is where his mind always is throughout his life. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. It is to accomplish his work. It is something that began very early in his life and never ended. Over into chapter 5 and verse 30, as Jesus is involved in a conversation about who he truly is, that he is not just a man, but he is God in the flesh. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, notice Jesus says here that I, I, if I alone testify about myself, or verse 30 rather, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Again, Jesus making it very plain, he didn't come to accomplish his own will. Of course, his will in the Father's, I believe, was one, but he came to accomplish his Father's will. That is his purpose in life. In chapter 6 and verse 38, another conversation where uh, people are, are wanting to uh, see some more signs from him. And Jesus says here in John 6 and verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then there is an amazing and astounding statement to me anyway that Jesus makes over in John chapter 8 and verse 29, where Jesus says here, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. That kind of goes along with our 9 o'clock session uh, from John chapter 16 that, that the Father had not left him alone. But he says also more than that, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus is saying about himself, he is claiming that he is deity. He is claiming that he and the Father truly are one, that they are one in mind, that they are one in purpose, that they are one in will. And Jesus says, I never do anything. I always do what pleases my Father. In the Gospel of Luke, as we're coming toward the end of Jesus' earthly life as he is about to uh, go to the cross. As he is praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think we remember the famous words of Jesus in that prayer. That verse 41 says, He withdrew from them, from the three disciples, about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And then as he is on the cross, back to the Gospel of John in John chapter 19. John 19 and verse 30, John says to us that therefore when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I realize it doesn't record Jesus' words exactly as saying, I have accomplished my Father's will. But I think you have to take these words of Jesus, it is finished and go back a couple of chapters in the Gospel of John to chapter 17 and that beautiful prayer that he prayed to his father. And at the very beginning of that prayer, he says, Father, I have accomplished your work on earth. I have glorified you in what I have come to do. I have come to do your will. I believe Jesus is saying here at the very end before he is crucified that it is finished. Your will on earth has been accomplished. I have come to do your will. So you can see all throughout his life from the age of 12 to the time he was crucified that his whole life here on earth was about doing his father's will. We are blessed in this congregation in a number of ways, but we are blessed in this regard that we have among us here in this group, we have some young people 
who are doing their father's will. We have some who are 14, 16, 18 years old that have made that commitment to follow Jesus Christ, that have devoted their lives for the rest of their life, however long they live, that their life is going to be all about doing their father's will. But we also are blessed that we have people on the other end of life spectrum. We have some people in their 70s and 80s and even, yes, 90s who are still doing their father's will. And I believe in that regard, they are being like Jesus. They are trying to follow his great example. And so wherever wherever you are on the spectrum of life, you need to see that your earthly life now is not about yourself. It's not about your pleasures and your comforts and your happiness. But your earthly life now, you need to see that as Jesus Christ saw his, that it is all about doing my Father's will. But thirdly and finally, I think we learn from Jesus here going back to our text in Luke chapter 2 from verse 51 that doing our Father's will does not erase our earthly relationships and responsibilities. Notice again what Luke says to us there at verse 51 about Jesus. He says that he, Jesus, went down with them, his parents, and came to Nazareth and he continued in subjection to them. Although, as we have made the point, I hope, very clear this morning, yes, Jesus Christ came to earth to do His Father's will. Here is the God in the flesh as a 12-year-old. And Luke is telling us here at this text that He continued in subjection. Certainly, He continued in subjection to His heavenly Father. But I believe the point that is being made in this passage is He continued in subjection to His earthly father and His earthly mother. And why did He do that? Well, it was simply because of his overall mission, because he had this purpose in mind that he came to earth to do his father's will. And part of his heavenly father's will was for him as a 12-year-old boy to obey his earthly parents. Joseph and Mary, as we pointed out just a moment ago from verse 44, Luke says... They had traveled with their caravan out of Jerusalem about a day's journey, and they had to turn around and go a day's journey, which I think would have been no small feat in their particular time. And they had to turn around and go back to Jerusalem to find Jesus, their son. And as they look around Jerusalem for three days, frantically wondering where he is and what he is doing, they finally found him and they wanted him to return home to Nazareth with them, which he did. And I believe the point is this, that even though he came as the Son of God, the Son of the Most High, as the one who had reigned forever over the house of Jacob, that he, as a 12-year-old young man, continued in subjection to his earthly parents. Yes, although Jesus was all about his Father's will, he did not protest his parents' wishes. He did not use his authority as God's son to in some way undermine or to usurp their authority as his earthly parents. No, as an obedient son, he submitted his will to theirs. What an amazing statement to think about. That he went down with them, he came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them. Well, just like Jesus, we too, wherever we are in age, we too have responsibilities. We have responsibilities to fulfill our earthly relationships. 
If you are a child and you have made the decision maybe at an early age in your life, maybe you are 12, 14, 16 years old, and you're still living under your parents, in your parents' house, under your parents' roof, and you're still having to abide by their rules and regulations, you need to realize that just because you have made the decision that you're going to completely give yourself and the rest of your life to doing your father's will doesn't mean that you don't have to listen to your parents, that you don't have to obey your parents anymore, that you don't have to honor them as your parents, because becoming a Christian doesn't do away with our earthly relationships and responsibilities We don't have the time to read all of these passages, but I put them up here. You can write them down if you're taking notes and look at them in more detail later. But I think about the conversation that Jesus had with the religious leaders of his day over in the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 15. It's really a conversation about human traditions being placed on a higher level than the Word of God. And we might have a lesson about that at some point in the future. But for our purposes today to just think about what Jesus said to them as they were accusing him and his disciples of breaking the tradition of the elders, of eating without washing their hands first. This is how Jesus replied to them in verse 3. He says, Why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that would help, that would help you have been, has been given to God, he is not to honor his father or his mother, And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. Basically, Jesus was saying to them, if you truly claim to be who you are claiming to be, if you truly claim to be people who are children of Abraham and children of God, then you will honor God's word before your own. And God has already said back in the law of Moses that you are to honor your father and your mother. It did not relieve them of their responsibility to help their parents financially and just say, well, my whole life is about doing my father's will and I've already committed this amount of money to doing the Lord's work and so I I don't have any responsibility to my parents. No, Jesus says that's not the case at all. You have missed the very heart of that command to honor your father and your mother, mother and when you are doing that, You are really honoring God. You are being one who is doing your Father's will. We think about passages like Ephesians chapter 5 through the early part of verse 6 and all of those instructions that, that pertain to our earthly responsibilities and relationships, husbands to wives and wives to husbands, children to parents and parents to children, slaves to masters and masters to slaves. And in all of that, Paul doesn't write there or in Colossians 3, or anywhere else in the New Testament says, well, because you become a Christian, because you have devoted your life to doing your Father's will, that doesn't mean you can just slack off on the job. That doesn't mean you can do a, a lousy job for your master or for your employer. That doesn't mean as you as a child can just dismiss what your parents tell you. That doesn't mean that you as a husband or wife can, cannot love or respect or honor your spouse as God has called you to do. No, rather, if we have those relationships and responsibilities, a part of us doing our Father's will is making sure that we do His will in regards to those matters. You can think about passages like Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 3 through 13 and verse 10, where Paul talks about the responsibilities we have one to another in the body of Christ. 
We are to love one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to weep with one another, rejoice with one another. Then he opens it up to the responsibilities we have of being citizens in an earthly nation that we have, we have responsibilities to our government and those in authority over us. And then he talks of the last few verses there of this text here on the screen in Romans 13, that we have the responsibility to charge to love everyone, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to owe no man anyone rather than to love him. And Paul doesn't say, well, you, you Christians there in the city in Rome, you have become Christians. Your life is all about doing your father's will. So you don't have to be a good citizen in the empire of Rome. And you don't have to love your neighbor as yourself. And you can just treat each other here in the congregation however you want to treat one another. No, that is a very vital, important part of them doing their father's will. Wherever we are, whether we are young, middle-aged, or old, if we are serious about doing our Father's will, we will be people who realize that doing so doesn't diminish and it doesn't erase the earthly responsibilities and, and relationships that God has given to us. Rather, I think if we see those earthly relationships and responsibilities as Jesus did, it will enhance those relationships. It will enrich those relationships and responsibilities. And we will do, as Paul wrote here in Ephesians chapter 6, the early verses in Colossians chapter 3 and early part of chapter 4, it will help us to see that we're not just doing those to please men, to please our parents, to please our children, to please our neighbor, to please our brother, sister in Christ, but we're doing that first and foremost to please our Father in heaven. This, I think, is a good starting point for us, not only in this series this year, as we'll be talking about a number of things in relation to the example of Jesus Christ and how we can be like Jesus Christ, whether we're thinking about how we can be like Jesus in prayer or whether we're thinking about how we can be like Jesus in sacrificing ourselves for others and serving others and, and a whole host of other things. But even in the series that I mentioned to you last week about current issues, at least that's what I'm calling it, to think about what is our Father's will in regard to our sexual purity? What is our Father's will in regard to how we look at the blessings that God has given us and not being materialistic, worldly-minded people? What is our Father's will about our speech? What, what is our Father's will about all these matters specifically that we're going to discuss this year? I hope you will keep the example and the lesson that we have spoke about this morning in mind because Jesus is always our great example. And he always did what was pleasing to his father. Let us strive this year to be that kind of people. Let us be people who are striving to do our father's will in every part of our lives. What about you this morning as we close our lesson? Are you doing your father's will? We can only do one of two wills. And we sort of spoke about this in, in Brother John's class this morning. It, it, a lot of things in life, I think, come down to this very question. Are we going to do God's will or are we going to do our own will? Are we going to be selfish, prideful people and say, I'm here to accomplish my will in life? Or are we going to be humble people and say, I want to accomplish my Father's will? Have you made that decision? And if you haven't, it, it would be great at the early part of this year, 2023, to kick this year off on the right foot. And to say, I'm going to devote the rest of the days that God gives me to live here on earth to doing his will. 
Would you make that decision? If you made that decision in your mind, would you act upon that this morning? Would you come before the audience this morning confessing your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Would you come humbling yourself, repenting of your sins, and giving your life fully and completely to Him and being immersed with Christ in baptism for the forgiveness of your sins? If you have started on that path and you have walked away, would you get back to the important work of doing your Father's will? Because that's why we are here. If you need help and encouragement, maybe even admonition in that walk, if we can help you in any way this morning as we're about to sing this song of encouragement and invitation, if you know that you need to respond, won't you do that now as we stand and as we sing?